We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Plain abuse. Man, I got the worst bill blues. Isn't that nice? And it segs so beautifully into our exploration of a report. Rust Belt Cities. And their burden of legacy costs. Stephen Ide is a senior fellow of the Manhattan Institute. He has written this report, and uh, we're going to find out all about it right now from him. Hi, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. It is our pleasure to have you on the show. I see you're a doctor of philosophy. How do you find yourself writing these reports? Well, my uh, work focuses on state and local fiscal issues, so I've looked at, you know, the problems of debt, taxes, pensions in places like California, Detroit, Michigan, and here in New York City. Um, And in this report, I take a kind of broad look at those fiscal challenges as they exist um, in the Rust Belt and the former industrial areas in the Midwest and Northeast. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, Pen- I, I hate to be selfish about this stuff, but uh, Pennsylvania does appear in this report. So can sure, you yeah. give us a, a little bit of an insight into that? Well, you know, the challenges that places like Erie, um, Redding, Scranton, and, and Pennsylvania are facing are, in many respects, similar to what's going on in Michigan, Ohio, and even Connecticut and Massachusetts. Um, you know, long-term decline in, in the manufacturing jobs and the tax base related to that. But at the same time that the population has been declining and also the poverty rate has been increasing in these places, um, their debt load, their per capita debt load and in inflation adjusted terms has been increasing, and they've also been increasing the amount that they owe for pensions and retiree health care liabilities. So at the same time that they're in basically increasing the promises, their long-term fiscal promises that they're making, um, the tax base that stands behind those promises has become weaker and weaker, raising questions about, you know, where, the, where are all this is headed? In some cases, um, you know, you've, you've seen bankruptcy, you've seen insolvency, but in all cases, you, what you see is more and more money from the budget going to pay for the costs of, of the past instead of strengthening services in the present. Yeah, you got a smaller pot, and you have uh, increasing poverty. It just it seems like a, a recipe for disaster um, in terms of, of where we go from here, because I think it says in your report that a lot of these places that are Rust Belt areas and cities, they've kind of held their own on this. And it's like, I guess, trying to tread water when you're drowning. Um, What's the prognosis for the future? Right. Not everybody is going to have be as bad off as, say, Flint, Michigan, Youngstown, Ohio, um, Detroit. I mean, these are places with big challenges. Scranton's poverty rate is much lower than those places. Um, so, But at the same time, Scranton is pretty far off from where New York City and Boston are right now. I mean, those are real vibrant comeback cities. So most cities kind of find themselves on a spectrum, but you, they have to be very realistic in terms of what they can expect um, in the near term and also what they can affect by means of policy. I mean, there's just there are just so many factors that that cannot be influenced at this at the local level. Okay. So, uh, should they 
I hate to say things like this. Should they be looking to other levels to help them out? I, I, you know, if they if they can't afford it, do you think that they'll have to? I don't know. In Scranton's case, Steve, which is the one I think about a lot, is they've been a distressed city for a very long time. Some have yeah. suggested that perhaps the the one thing that might be able to save them is a bankruptcy filing. But then people say, well, if Scranton files bankruptcy, it gives a judge kind of a leverage to come in and slap taxes on, on people that they can't afford. So they look like they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, I mean, Pennsylvania, to my knowledge, have ne- has never had a, like, full-on bankruptcy. I mean, there have been cities that tried to file for bankruptcy, like Harrisburg, Scranton. It's kind of this, you know, perpetual cycle of brinksmanship where they're almost on the verge of insolvency, then somehow it's, they back off. Um, it's going to give at a certain point. I mean, the fundamentals are so weak. My, I mean, I prefer state oversight. Whether you're talking about a bankruptcy or not, I, I prefer to see state governments kind of step up and take take control. I mean, in the case of Pennsylvania, you do have a history of the state government trying to do something for many cities, but... You know, a lot of people are dissatisfied with how far that that has gotten. So maybe at a certain point, Pennsylvania is going to need to need to think, think about need to revisit its approach to state oversight as well. Yeah, and uh, Pennsylvania, of course, as a state, has its own gaping fiscal challenges based upon the kind of things that you just talked about, which are pension obligations. Right, yeah, you know, that's a situation in Connecticut as well, where you have a city that Hartford, the capital, is now on the verge of bankruptcy, but the state also has one of the worst-funded pension systems um, in the nation, and so local officials are Hartford, in Hartford are saying, wait a minute, you guys are going to come in and tell us how to get our finances <laughs> in shape? Like, look at your own books. But um, And that's a pretty legitimate criticism, um, because the states have been so der- fiscally derelict in so many ways. But, you know, at the local level, sometimes it just becomes becomes this political logjam, and politically speaking, they just can't, you know, summon up the strength they need to adri- to make the decisions that they need to make. At the state, when, when the state comes in and the state is willing to be the bad guy, sometimes that creates a little bit of political space. Um, and, and ultimately, I think the states are just, just going to fall in the state's lap one way or the other. The federal government is not coming to the rescue. It's just a question of whether, when the states intervene and, and how. And also, Pennsylvania is saddled with um, a business tax that is one of the highest in the country. So even trying to say to people, listen, <laughs> come to Pennsylvania, it just seems to be such a, a tall order. Of course, Pennsylvania has also shed a lot of manufacturing. Um, you know, locally, we've we've shed some things, not as uh, obvious as uh, this, the collapse of the steel industry, per se, in the western part of the state. But where we live... Over the years, I mean, we've had the the slow decline where we used to have a a vibrant um, mining situation because we have anthracite coal. We had um, also production factories that made things like uh, dresses, flat screen TVs, and now, or TV screens. Now it seems not as optimistic that, you know, industry wants to come to. Pennsylvania at all. Yeah, in terms and in terms of the tax situation, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty about manufacturing. I mean, you know, maybe some manufacturing could come back someday. If you're talking about higher, you know, you know, manufacturing that's higher quality, you know, fewer jobs, 
Who knows? But the tax issue, which is the first point you raised, look, when you have these elevated debt and retirement benefit liabilities, businesses rightly see those as a tax increase waiting to happen. I mean, if your debt is very, very high, it's difficult to lower taxes. And if anything, it looks like they're just going to have to go up at a certain point. So, you know, to keep to at least hold the line on taxes, you've got to somehow come to terms with these with these legacy cost burdens and that is something that you can do cities do have authority over their budgets like let's let's talk about that and let's stop speculating about you know the global economy which is going to be influenced by so many things so many other factors that that can't be controlled at the municipal level when you say coming to terms what what do you mean by that i mean are they just going to have to in the future um you know open contracts or when contracts are up be uh, much more harsh when it comes to the negotiations of these municipal contact contracts. I think in many blue state situations, which is the common, which is what you have throughout the Rust Belt, um, government unions do have more influence over the, the their compensation their compensation packages. Excuse me, than is that benefits the common good. Um, we're going to have to have a discussion about that. And in terms of the retirement benefit promises, look, if you if you're if you if there hasn't been any substantive economic progress over the last few decades, it's a really bad idea for you to be making pension promises that are not going to come due in like 50 years because who knows where you will be in 50 years. I mean, hopefully you won't be that much worse off, but are you going to be like substantially better? Are you going to be back to where you were in the 1950s? Probably not. So let's start budgeting for the near term instead of pushing these legacy costs way off into the future, you know, it's just an economic Hail Mary to think that, that you're going to be able to pay these, that you're going to be a better position to pay these things off 50 years from now than you are now. You also address in your report uh, property taxes and how much of, of that income uh, states are dependent on. And, and where we live, Steve, I must say that that issue is uh, very important to the people who live in in our area of Pennsylvania, although in other areas not so much. Um, how does that play into your report? Well, there are a couple of ways that the property tax issue becomes... Uh, you know, salient in these debates about the future of Rust Belt. I mean, you know, property taxes are are very high in in, in these in, in Connecticut, New Jersey. The p- property tax politically very charged issue because they're already very high, and people don't want to see them go higher. The other issue is like, what has happened to your property tax base? As the economy has changed, more and more of the tax base, and I know this is the issue an issue in Pennsylvania, um, has been occupied by not tax exempt institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, higher ed, medical centers, they don't pay property taxes. And um, so they've been growing. They provide lots of, you know, well-paying jobs. That's great. But they they're, they're, they don't provide the same amount of benefit in terms of the city's budget. So having these, these discussions about pilots or, you know, where to find an adequate level of revenues when so much of your tax base, I mean, if all the action in your tax base is on the nonprofit level and your for-profit, the for-profit side, not a lot happening, then that does tend to create a kind of imbalance and you know, very few cities have come to a really adequate solution with that issue. Yeah, I wonder if the day will come when um, those entities that are "quote unquote" nonprofit are just put on the tax rolls, like like other properties are, and what that could mean to uh, cities who often find themselves financially strapped because entities are are buying everything up. 
Well, it's really complicated because when you talk about, you know, uh, hospitals, you know, most of their money is coming from the government indirectly one way or the other. So whether it's, you know, Medicaid or some other Medicare. So if you're, you know, if you're taxing them, you know, maybe you're increasing the revenues coming into city governments, but you would be increasing costs for government on some other end. So it's a very complicated issue. You know, when we, you know, came up with these ideas to keep chair, public charities exempt from property taxes, we didn't envision the type of situation you'd have now, where you have, you know, executives making millions of dollars a year, you know, these sophisticated enterprises. But um, just just levying a property tax on them and taxing them um, like you would any other business is, um, you know, uh, probably not a good idea and certainly not practical in the near term. All right. Uh, based upon your... Um writing of this report, did anything in her surprise you dramatically, or was this pretty much what you expected to find? Well, it was, it was kind of what I expected to find. I mean, you know, I think there, I, look, I think there's an important discussion to be had about, you know, wh- that there are differences between these cities, um, that poverty is not necessarily destiny. There are poor cities that are doing okay. Some cities, you know, Pittsburgh has had just catastrophic population losses, and yet, you know, most people think Pittsburgh has been one of the most successful, uh, you know, one of the most inspiring comeback city stories in the nation. So, you know, we can't just be totally fatalistic. We, you know, city government, city officials can't throw up their hands and say, well, what do you expect? You know, China's just going to bury us. We have to focus on things that we can control and try to make improvements, even if those improvements are going to be marginal and they're not going to bring us back to the good old days. Stephen Iatt, we enjoyed the conversation about uh, the, the future of uh, cities like Scranton, which is in our, in our coverage area, and uh, some of the other things you've had to say about uh, Rust Belt cities and their burden of legacy costs. Uh, you are with the Manhattan Institute, and we appreciate this interview today. Thank you so much for your interest in my research. Absolutely. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.